Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Profound Medical Fourth Quarter and Full Year 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To participate on that portion of the call, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. And please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. Now, I would like to turn the conference over to your speaker today, Stephen Kilmer with Investor Relations. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Let me start by pointing out that this conference call will include forward-looking statements regarding Profound and its business, which may include, but is not limited to, expectations regarding the efficacy of Profound's technology in the treatment of prostate cancer, BPH, uterine fibroids, palliative pain, and osteoid osteoma. Often, but not always, forward-looking statements can be identified by the use of words such as plans, is expected, expects, scheduled, intends, contemplates, anticipates, believes, proposes, or variations, including negative variations of such words and phrases, or state that certain actions, events, or results may, could, would, might, or will be taken, occur, or be achieved. Such statements are based on the current expectations of management. The forward-looking events and circumstances discussed in this conference call may not occur by certain specified dates or at all, and could differ materially as a result of known and unknown risk factors and uncertainties affecting the company, including risks regarding the medical device industry, economic factors, the equity markets generally, and risks associated with growth and competition. Although Profound has attempted to identify important factors that could cause actual actions, events, or results to differ materially from those described in forward-looking statements, there may be other factors that cause actions, events, or results that differ from those anticipated, estimated, or intended. No forward-looking statement can be guaranteed. Except as required by applicable securities laws, forward-looking statements speak only as of the date on which they are made, and Profound undertakes no obligation to publicly update or revise any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, other than as required by law. For the benefit of those who are new to the Profound story, I would like to take a moment to summarize our business. Profound develops and markets customizable incision-free therapies for the ablation of diseased tissue. We are currently commercializing Tulsa Pro, a technology that combines real-time MRI, robotically-driven transurethral ultrasound, and closed-loop temperature feedback control. The technology is designed to provide customizable and predictable radiation-free ablation of a surgeon-defined prostate volume while actively protecting the urethra and rectum to help preserve the patient's natural functional abilities. Tulsa Pro is CE marked, Healthcare Canada approved, and 510K cleared by the FDA. We are also commercializing SaunaLeaf, an innovative therapeutic platform that is CE marked for the treatment of uterine fibroids and palliative pain treatment of bone metastasis. SaunaLeaf has also been approved by the China National Medical Products Administration for the non-invasive treatment of uterine fibroids and has recently obtained FDA approval under a humanitarian device exemption for the treatment of osteoid osteoma. While we do not expect this FDA HDE approval to have a material impact on revenues in the near term, it is a significant milestone for our company 
and we are making preparations for its U.S. commercial launch later in 2021. On the call today, representing the company are Dr. Arun Menawat, Profound's Chief Executive Officer, and Aaron Davidson, the company's Chief Financial Officer and Senior Vice President of Corporate Development. With that said, I'll now turn the call over to Aaron. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our fourth quarter and full year 2020 conference call. On behalf of the management team and everyone at Profound, I would like to thank you for your ongoing interest in our company. And for those of you who are shareholders, we appreciate your continued support. I will turn the call over to Arun in a moment for an update on our commercial activities. However, before I do, I'd like to provide a brief update on our fourth quarter 2020 financial results. One major change you probably noticed from our press release today is that we have changed our presentation currency from the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar. We believe this will result in more relevant and reliable information for those looking at our financial statements and will more accurately reflect the results of our operations, especially given our focus on U.S. commercial activities. To streamline things, all of the numbers I will refer to have been rounded and are therefore approximate. For the three-month period ended December 31, 2020, the company recorded revenue of $2.9 million, an increase of 36% year-over-year and 29% sequentially over the third quarter. When we announced our preliminary unaudited revenue estimate in early January 2021 ahead of the J.P. Morgan conference, we hadn't yet made the switch to U.S. dollar reporting. So for clarity, this translates to actual revenue of 3.8 million Canadian dollars versus the 3.7 million Canadian dollar estimate at the time. Total operating expenses, which consist of R&D, GNA, and selling and distribution expenses were $6.1 million in the fourth quarter of 2020, an increase of 14% compared with approximately $5.3 million in the fourth quarter of 2019. Breaking that down further, on a year-over-year basis, expenditures for R&D increased 4% to $2.5 million. This was primarily driven by higher spending for the setup and administrative costs of new clinical trials, options awarded to employees, additional headcount, and overall increase to general expenses, partially offset by decreases in material costs, consulting fees, and travel expenses. G&A expenses decreased by 6% to $1.8 million due to lower consulting fees and travel, software, bad debt expense, and depreciation which were partially offset by increases in salaries and benefits and share-based compensation. Finally, selling and distribution expenses increased by 79% to approximately $1.7 million. As noted in our press release, selling and distribution expenses have historically been lower than R&D expenses. However, we expect selling and distribution expenses to exceed R&D expenses in the future as we continue to invest in the commercialization of Tulsa Pro in the United States. Overall, the company recorded a fourth quarter 2020 net loss of $7.5 million or 38 cents per common share compared with a net loss of $3.9 million or 33 cents per common share for the same three month period in 2019. As at December 31, 2020, Profound had cash of $83.9 million. 
I'd like to close by saying that while our performance in the fourth quarter again speaks to the strength of our technology and our business model, we continue to remain cautious in the near term, mainly due to COVID-19 headwinds, the impact of which are unpredictable. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Arun. Thanks, Aaron. Year-end 2020 marks the 12-month mark of the introduction of Tulsa in the United States, and in spite of the delays due to COVID, I'm pleased to report that we successfully executed against our strategic priorities in 2020. The most important of those was to start laying the groundwork to drive significant adoption of Tulsa Pro in the U.S., and there were two major pillars of that I would like to focus my remarks on today. First was to start building a high-quality U.S. installed base. In that regard, our U.S. market entry strategy for Tulsa Pro targets three types of end users. One, early adopters, which includes neurologists specializing in cutting-edge alternative prostate disease treatment. Two, independent imaging center companies, such as RedNet. And three, opinion-leading teaching hospitals. Each of these are unique and play different roles in supporting long-term adoption. The first two early adopter Tulsa Pro sites have been treating a growing number and an increasing variety of patients. The experience at these centers mirrors what we observed during our European launch, where surgeons initially used Tulsa Pro to treat intermediate risk patients, then started to also treat low and high risk patients, and then those with BPH. The result of that addressable patient population expansion has been higher early utilization than we had expected. At the beginning of 2020, we estimated that after the first six to 12 months of being operational, the average run rate would be 40 procedures per year, eventually growing to 100 procedures or more after that. Today, these centers have exceeded those targets by about 50%, achieving an average run rate of 60 procedures per year. With respect to the second group, the imaging centers, I'm pleased to report that RedNet is now actively treating patients using Tulsa after initially experiencing delays related to COVID-19. Midway through the year, we increasingly focused on the third group, establishing Tulsa centers at top-tier hospitals. The early results of those efforts has been outstanding, with the list of prestigious institutions offering the Tulsa procedure already including the Mayo Clinic, UT Southwestern Medical Center, Wellspan Advanced Prostate Cancer Center, and most recently, Yale Cancer Center. While we have always expected teaching hospitals to be relatively lower volume at first, 
and we are seeing these institutions being particularly impacted by COVID-19, they remain best positioned to help drive long-term adoption by training the next generation of urologists, presenting at medical conferences, publishing papers in relevant journals, and participating in additional trials designed to support Tulsa Pro to potentially qualify for a CXG1 code. This leads me to the second pillar of our Tulsa Pro adoption strategy, which is clearly reimbursement. At the beginning of 2020, we announced that we had submitted an application for a Healthcare Common Procedure Coding System C-code from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, for the Tulsa Pro procedure. Subsequent to that, we had an opportunity to meet with CMS and a number of hospitals. The feedback from those discussions, as well as from our consultants, was that an existing code could possibly apply to Tulsa. For that reason, we asked CMS to set our application aside and allow the hospitals to decide if they would like to use that existing code. While we're not able to provide great amount of detail on the numbers of patients or reimbursement levels, we can say that we're hearing from the hospitals that have submitted for reimbursement using the existing code that they are being paid. While that is clearly a positive, I would like to reiterate, as I have on previous calls, that we view reimbursement and coverage as a three-year-plus process, and the usage of the C code is the first step of that process. In the longer term, we expect to conduct additional clinical trials that are mostly designed to expand the body of clinical publications and enable Tulsa Pro to qualify for a specific CPT1 code and ultimately for payment coverage. The first of those is TAC2, an extension of the TAC pivotal trial by another 35 patients to achieve a total number of patients treated to 150. That study is on track to be fully enrolled in the second half of this year. As we have discussed before, by the end of 2021, we believe that we should have the requisite publications to qualify to apply for a specific CPT1 code. For a coverage determination, however, we will need level one studies, which we also expect to start recruiting for before the end of the year. So to summarize, I would like to echo Aaron's comments that there remains significant uncertainty with respect to the Tulsa procedure's adoption rate in the very near term due mainly to COVID-19. However, we're energized going into 2021 and remain on track to achieve our long-term adoption goals for Tulsa Pro. In addition, we're looking forward to launching Sauna Leave in the United States 
later in the year. This ends our prepared remarks for today. With that, we're happy to take any questions you might have. Operator. Thank you. And we will now be conducting the question and answer session. And as a reminder, to ask a question, simply press star one on your telephone. And to withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. One moment while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question is from Anthony Petron with Jeffries. Your question, please. Uh, thank you, and hope everyone's doing well. Uh, Arun, maybe to press a little bit on the prepared comments on, on backlog and not necessarily focusing on procedures, but rather installation cycles. Can you give us a sense of the average installation cycle pre-COVID uh, uh, for a new site and, and kind of where that sits today just in terms of kind of the hurdles that you have to get past in getting uh, a system fully installed and up and running? And would you classify actually the installation cycle as the bigger uh, headwind uh, related to COVID relative to purely on the procedure side? And then I'll have a couple of follow-ups. Thanks. Sure, Tony. I'm happy to. Um, so let me describe it by each of the pillars that we talk about, each of the three uh, different types of institutions that we focus on. The biggest impact in terms of the delays was really in the hospitals. And as I mentioned in our prepared remarks, uh, going into the second half, that was a, a priority for us because we want to get the opinion leaders to get going on this product. So there were a couple of hospitals where we actually had contracts, but they, the hospital administration simply did not allow uh, even the, our people to go in to install the system. Uh, there were a couple of hospitals where we did install the system, but then in January, for example, they were informed that they could not do uh, new technology procedures and, you know, it sort of got delayed uh, because of that. So I, you know, I kind of look at this as a one-time thing, uh, and I do think that there is some impact in the, you know, early part of this quarter, but the reality is all of these hospitals are now back up and we have installed and they are starting to treat. Um, so to answer your general question though, um, from the time we get a contract, a typical startup is somewhere between 75 to 90 days for us at the moment. I think over the long haul, I anticipate it will be somewhere between 45 to 60 days, but at the moment it's somewhere between 75 to 90 days. Um, that, is that answering your question? Absolutely. That's very helpful. And, and I guess to hear you correctly, you bucketed the two sort of situations, which is contracts in hand, but the company was not allowed to proceed with the Tulsa install, and then systems that were installed but procedures were not allowed. I just want to be clear that all of those are now installed, or is there a certain portion within the first bucket where you still have to finalize the installation of Tulsa? No, we, the agreements we did uh, last year and maybe very early this year, they're now installed and hospitals are now going. As of March, we anticipate full, full operation in place. Um, 
so I think that part is 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 hopefully you know there's no third wave, and that part is now behind us. And 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 then the last one for me, and I'll hop back in is is a little bit more information on the C code hospitals uh, that were installed last year are actually being reimbursed with that C code. Uh, can you remind us, room just of the level of reimbursement that's being received under the C code? and whether or not that is um, uh, sort of universal across the install base of Tulsa's at the moment, or does it vary by region across the country? Thanks. Sure. Uh, so, the, you know, what we publicly talked about is in general numbers. The, the APC code associated with that C, the C code uh, generally pays in the order of between 11 to 12,500. And that range depends upon what type of institution is applying. So certain institutions in lower cost areas or, or smaller institutions will get the lower end of it. Certain other institutions that are teaching institutions will get the higher end of it. And, you know, I think that generally the hospitals are reporting that they are comfortable with the payments that they are receiving. So. As I said, I couldn't give you a specific hospital or a specific number, but I think general feedback is that hospitals are getting paid the amount they expected to get paid. That's helpful. I'll hop back in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Rahul Sarugasar with Raymond James. Your question, please. Um, good afternoon, Arun and Aaron. Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, so my first first question really is, uh, I think Arun, you were referring to all of the existing contracts having been installed. Um, you know, I, I, you know, in previous calls you'd referred to the uh, pipeline being quite strong and that you were continuing to sign contracts. So I just want to clarify, is that the case where all of the existing contracts that have been signed have been installed, or are there are there more contracts being signed that would be kind of sort of create this bolus? of additional installations that will need to happen as uh, the hospital constraints start to uh, start to release. Uh, so can I jump in just for a second? That. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have contracts signed where there are not uh, where there are devices not installed and devices not treating patients still. Right. Okay, so great. That's it's it. a timing Go ahead. it's a timing point that what I was referring to is the agreements that we had last year uh, are installed. Not all of them might be public at, in, on our website or anything, but uh, are there. But we do have new contracts that we've signed this year, which are not installed. Okay, terrific. Thank you. That, that's an important uh, clarification. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And then, and then, so now talking about those uh, those additional uh, contracts that are currently being signed, have been signed, um, and you know the the hospital constraints that you talked about. Um, you know, how, how do you see, are you starting to see now uh, that these hospital constraints are starting to be lifted, or do you expect that to be happening sort of into Q2? And you know, as this bolus of installations, you know, uh, becomes kind of comes to bear, is your team size prepared to to kind of handle that that large number of installations in sort of the back half of this year? Uh, sure, Raul. So I think. To the extent that we can all predict what's going on with COVID, I think that what we are seeing is, you know, hospitals are 
starting to come back to normality to some extent. And, um, you know, I would say the other side in terms of the caution is that we have installed, um, uh, you know, we have installed the, the systems, but getting up to speed in terms of the volume is still going to take some time because, we, you know, they have to start uh, getting patients established. Typically, patients, um, it takes about four, four to six weeks for the patients from the time they schedule the patient to when they actually treat. So, you know, I think there's still some uncertainty, but I think generally things are heading in the right direction in terms of, of um, you know, activity. Um, to your second question, um, uh, we, as, as uh, we've talked about, our pipeline is good. Um, we um, are adding, you know, resources in our company at a pretty aggressive pace, and um, we have an outstanding team, and they are traveling in spite of all the restrictions. They've, you know, they are quarantining as necessary and so on. Um, so, yeah, I think the short answer to your question is, yeah, I do think we will be prepared uh, as the install base grows and as the utilization grows. Sure. Hey, thank you. And if you'll indulge just one more quick question, um, you know, about the C code. So you had mentioned that there are some of the hospitals that are being reimbursed, and, and you, you followed up with sort of the eleven to 12,000 figure. Um, and recognizing that you want to be judicious in, you know, your projections around it. So maybe if you can just clarify how many different sort of CMS contracted jurisdictions are being uh, currently reimbursed or are being submitted to and being reimbursed. And then as a quick sort of follow-up to that, has that started tra to translate to any sort of any private payer reimbursement or is that too early to tell? Um, Raul, I, I would say, you know, it's too early to, I mean, there are, um, uh, only a few hospitals, so I would say probably two or three different zones are involved at the moment. So it's kind of early on that. Uh, um, on the on the private pay, um, you know, I think again the number of patients is relatively small, and so it's hard to predict the future. But I think our general impression is that. Uh, certain private patients are also being paid. Uh, maybe the amount they're being paid is highly variable, depending upon what type of insurance they have. But the general feedback we have from hospitals is that, that they are getting, uh, you know, payments. Great. Thank you very much, and, and I'll hop back in the queue. Thank you. Our next question comes from Josh Jennings with Cowan. Your question, please. Great, thanks. This is actually uh, Neil on for Josh. Um, I guess first off, I just wanted to ask him about, you know, the international regions that are in play for Tulsa Pro. Um, so I know Japan is, you know, one country where you've seen subtraction. Could you talk about, you know, you know the progress that you're seeing there? And then secondly, um, you know, just with Tulsa Pro placements in the in, in Europe, um, you know, if you could talk about the the opportunity there, and if 
if that's a meaningful opportunity or, or if investors should continue to just focus on mostly on the uh, the U.S. opportunity. And Neil, those are two very good questions. Um, so first of all, in Japan, uh, we do anticipate that it is outside of the U.S. It is going to be an important market for us. And um, uh, the uh, we do continue to see uh, traction, uh, but we do need to get regulatory clearance in Japan, and we anticipate applying for it in 2021. Uh, you know, we, it's hard to predict exactly when we get it. But in the meantime, uh, we are getting new orders from Japan uh, that are based upon their policy of um, uh, importing, in, you know, technology by, through direct uh, import policy. So we are uh, an innovative technology, as they recognize, and they're using the direct import concept to do so. So we're not able to advertise in Japan at all at the moment, but it is word of mouth that is is uh, working. And it's also giving us uh, some you know confidence that, hey, once we get the regulatory approval, that it's a market that we do want to pay attention to. Um, and as we go through it in Japan, we'll keep you certainly informed on that. With respect to Europe, uh, that's also a very good question, actually, because, you know, what generally happens is what's happening with us is, you know, we got our CE mark early, we started to learn about our technology, we start treating patients, and that uh, education helped us when we came to the United States in 2020. And now, again, it happens typically, is now that there is some traction at the leading hospitals in the United States, you know, the Europe is starting to pay attention to us uh, also to say, hey, this technology is something we want to, uh, uh, you know, evaluate as well. So, um, you know, we are starting to see more interest. Whether it translates into higher numbers, it's hard to say at the moment, but it is certainly translating into additional clinical trials that are funded by Europeans uh, for us. And so I think from that perspective, I do think long-term, Europe will become interesting also. And for certainly in 2021, you will see uh, additional clinical publications coming out of Europe that will help us you know, globally. So I kind of think U.S. is by far our number one priority. Japan is going to continue to become important to us as we go forward. And I think Europe will, will be next uh, as well. Great, and then if I could just add in one follow-up question here. Um, you know, there, was, there was a recent study published in, in JAMA just on prostate cancer screening with MRI. Um, you know, the results of that study seem to, to indicate there's potential to increase the use of MRI for prostate cancer diagnosis. Um, you know, so, so could that prove to potentially become or, or provide a tailwind for, for Tulsa Pro adoption, um, I guess particularly with the, uh, the imaging centers? Yes, so that's also a really good question. <clears throat> so there is quite a bit of activity. Uh, and one of the reasons why, you know, people used to ask us this question early on, you know, is having an MRI um, a problem for you? Will you be able to find time on MRI? And what we're really finding is that there is a sort of a workflow that the MR companies are looking at, that leading 
hospitals are looking at to see if they can use the MRI for diagnostics. As I've kind of talked about it a little bit uh, before also, but the clinical workflow from you know, MR-based diagnosis to MR-based biopsy to Tulsa as MR-based treatment and, and then post-follow-up being MR-based also because nobody really wants to do biopsies unless they really have to do it. Uh, now, chances of us re- replacing biopsy in the very near term is probably low, but I completely agree with the concept that there is a lot of work going on at the MR companies on continuing to improve the uh, imaging technology for diagnostics. You might be familiar with the concept of PIRADS, which has been more of an academic uh, concept where academicians have been using that to stage the patients. I think you will see the PIRADS concept get more and more adopted in the diagnostic world, and I think that will lead to uh, a much more uniform workflow. So I haven't said anything actually what you've said, but I'm just putting more color into this, uh, that having multiple companies, uh, diagnostic companies, and with our uh, technology providing treatment with MR, I think it's in sync with what we see as a trend. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Fran Takinen with Lake Street Capital. Your question, please. Hey, Runaren, thanks for taking my questions. Two for you today. Um, starting with sure. sites, just asking a little bit more directly. I think you guys ended around, rather, are at around eight active sites in the United States. Previously, you guys have helped us out a little bit, just providing some broader goalposts to think about installs on a go-forward basis. So hoping you guys could help us out as much as you can, understanding there's a lot of uncertainty with the environment, just trying to get a little better understanding for your expectations on installs in this year. And then even if you could kind of think on a longer-term basis, that would probably be helpful as well. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, Frank, you're right in the, we're in that 8 to 10 range of installs. I think we're a little bit um, uh, cautious in the sense that, um, as I mentioned before, there has been, you know, certainly during the uh, month of January, February, there have been some delays in the startup. So we're, we're sort of bidding what's really functional and what's not functional versus installed versus not installed. But you know, having said that, I think these are very, very short-term things, and we're more about the long-term. Um, so I think we're generally likely to see these installed becoming functional sites pretty quickly. Uh, with respect to the pipeline, you know, I think that that we we continue to see that um, we have a very good pipeline of imaging centers that are interested in uh, adding. Tulsa to their portfolio, we're continuing to see that the imaging centers that signed up with us last year want to increase their uh, the number of sites that they want to go with. We're seeing uh, uh, additional early adopters. Uh, we have a pipeline of additional early adopters uh, in our list. And we certainly see a number of uh, leading hospitals continuing to um, to be very interested, and we are in dialogue with more so in the, certainly the rest of this year. You will see 
uh, again, opinion-leading sites uh, adopting this technology. And I think that I, I won't give you specific numbers, but I just feel, uh, you know, obviously we're, we want to be very cautious and, and so on. But I do think that, you know, when I look at adoption of game-changing technologies, the fact that leading hospitals are also leading adoption of a game-changing technology, which is a little bit unusual, is certainly one of the source of confidence that we have going forward. That's helpful. And then this is the second one on the utilization front. I appreciate your comments on the outperformance versus original expectations by about 50% on the utilization in the first uh, 6 to 12 months. Maybe talk about the second number a little bit of getting to that over 100 procedures on a longer-term basis. Do you feel that that's still a realistic expectation, or do you think, given the confidence in the utilization in the early days, you could see outperformance to that second number? Frank, I would say that 100 is still a very good target for us. Um, I uh, I do uh, want to sort of provide a little more color in the sense that um, the the reason why we saw this increase is that generally as the clinicians began to learn about the technology more, they felt that they could use it in a broader set of patient population. So in terms of the fact that this speaks to the fact that we could be applicable to a larger population and thereby the opportunity is bigger than what we started out with. I think that certainly we feel pretty good about and I think you will see uh, case studies and publications that will begin to show that broader uh, potential of this technology in this year, later this year. Um, uh, but I would say at the moment, we still think you know using 100 as a target is pretty good. I think in Europe, certainly we are seeing that the top commercial sites are getting to be beyond 100. You know, in the long haul, it's possible. But I also think that, you know, to be honest, I think 100 is more of an average. I think we will probably have some sites that don't get there, and we'll probably have a few sites that will be, you know, a little bit higher than that. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, just press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question is from Ben, ben Hayner with Alliance Global. Your question, please. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, first off, for me, just on the, the commentary about uh, sales and marketing expense exceeding R&D, um, is that kind of more of a function of well, I know it's a, a function of uh, selling expense going up, but how much of a function of that is, uh, you know, a potential uh, decline in R&D, just recognizing that, that you're uh, going to start the level one studies by the end of the year? That's an Aaron question, Ben. There's definitely some mapping and flowing here, Ben, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sales and marketing, we've definitely been working on growing the team fairly aggressively to, uh, you know, be able to manage the funnel. Um, from an R&D standpoint, there's definitely, that's where I'm getting at the ebbing and flowing. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's also things like we had a very good year, so we accrued for bonuses in the fourth quarter, which spreads across all areas that, you know, is not a repeating cost, for instance, in Q1. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we accrue at some lower rate uh, throughout the year. But so there's some also some sort of one-time costs in there in the Q4 that made it higher. Okay, that's fair. And then, you know, you mentioned managing the funnel. You know, who are are kind of the the accounts or the account types that um, you know the, the newly added person personnel are going to be uh, you know calling upon most frequently? I mean, is it you know, is it hospitals, is it imaging centers? You know, who who's all really the getting the focus? All so it's all of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. So it's imaging centers, it's hospital executives, it's physicians, urologists, interventional radiologists, radiologists. It's all of the above. Okay. And, and do you have a, a head count that you expect to get to or, or anything you can share on that front? We haven't disclosed that yet at this point. Okay. So stay tuned. Got it. And then um, to, just thinking about, you know, sign leave, you got the humanitarian uh, um, exemption. Um, you know, have you already started having conversation with the, the folks that could be kind of the initial installs in the U.S. and you know, what do those uh, what do those sites look like? You know, and what you know, what sort of splash are you planning to make when you do launch it? I imagine with just the uh, uh, the humanitarian humanitarian device exemption, probably not a big one, but I, I figured I better ask the question. Yeah, no, Ben. I think it's a good, good question. Uh, um, you know, with respect to to that, I think we have so far spent most of our time on, you know, what is the right strategy and what are the target hospitals. You know, knowing that at the moment it is a capital strategy, and knowing that that's a bit of a difficult thing during the COVID era, I would say, you know, don't expect any sales news on that in the first half. Um, but yes, we do, we have a target set of hospitals. These will be mostly pediatric hospitals. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully they're, um, you know, they have, um, um, uh, you know, funds available through their, their charity organization and so on which might be a little bit different. So we are, you know, we are in, you know, starting to engage with uh, with uh, these, you know, few specialized hospitals. Uh, you may have seen on our website, there is an interview uh, from uh, National Children regarding this mm-hmm. uh, that was just put in just a few days ago. So you're right, we're starting to get there. Uh, I think it's a compelling application. Let's see how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, thanks for thanks for the color, guys, and uh, I'll Thank leave you. it at that. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And our last question comes from Michael Bonjener with TLS Capital. Your question, please. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen, and our um, uh, own congratulations to you and the team. Uh, Thank you. For Thank you, Michael. Success during an impossible year. Um, you received, um, um, well, you, you, you've announced an agreement with G Healthcare in December of last year. Um, yes. Could you just share 
the importance of this, especially in light of the uh, uh, studies that you uh, hope to see uh, published later um, this year uh, as it relates to the installed base, as it relates to market share, and as it relates to the adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michael, the, you know, let me start by that concept that you know you had talked about is that I do think that MR is going to continue to be an important aspect of prostate management from diagnostics to treatment to post-treatment. So there is a lot of attention that the MR companies are putting at it. I think the fact that we can fill this one big gap that existed in this workflow, I think puts us in a very interesting position. So from that perspective, you know, we're obviously delighted that all three of the big MR companies are working with us. Obviously, that's an important point for us. Uh, second is that at the high level, you know, the MR companies have their own specializations and, you know, the GEs, for example, tend to have specialization more in the imaging centers, um, whereas Siemens tend to have more specialization in the, some of the teaching hospitals and so on. So I think having that flexibility uh, allows us to, you know, cater to the, the needs of, the, of our customers rather than forcing them to use, you know, an MR that, uh, you know, that we're compatible with only. Uh, so it makes a much easier story for us or to, uh, uh, a conversation for us to, to talk about. And, and again, at the high level, you know, GE is the largest MR company in the United States. Um, and so having access to that install base is really important to us. So, you know, now, given that we're at that early stage, is it, was it something that we urgently needed to have an install base today. Not really because, you know, generally even the large hospitals will have two of the three suppliers and we have been able to manage so far. But I think that as we go forward, particularly, you know, long-term, it will be an important, a very important agreement for us. And did I understand correctly that uh... Uh, they're essentially sharing for the costs for the development and uh, uh, the software development and all of the testing. Uh, I mean, our agreements are sort of win-win based agreements. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, the things that we need to do in terms of developing our software, we're doing the things that they uh, need to do in terms of their development they are doing. So, um, you know, I think that is pretty consistent with the agreements we have in general. Well, congratulations. It speaks for itself. The, the, the largest uh, install base and, and a very uh, difficult company to work with uh, is your partner now. So thank you so much. Best of luck for this year. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude our Q&A session for today. I would like to turn the call back to Arun Menawat for his final remarks. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so supportive. Uh, I think Michael's point is right. It was a difficult year um, of our startup. And um, 
we, uh, you know, we are certainly energized with what we accomplished last year, and um, you know, we're really looking forward to 2021 and updating you on Q1 2021 with U.S. dollars. Um, I guess I would like to add one more quick point that, in case um, you you may or may not have noticed it, the TACT clinical trial, in fact, in the month of March, is now. Uh, fully published in the in the journal in the print journal, and the and Tulsa is in fact on the cover of the journal. So if you have not seen it, please American Urology Association. American AUA. Urology, yeah, AUA, AUA's lead journal. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating, and you may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.